Hello, good evening and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And uh, one of the great things about doing this job is I get to talk to lots of ex-footballers and it's an absolute pleasure growing up, uh, supporting the Arsenal, uh, loving football the way I do. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to, to some of the, the club's former players. And I'm delighted to be joined by another one this evening. And it is the brilliant Mr. Rohan Ricketts. Welcome to the Chronicles of Aguna, mate. How are you, first of all? Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing great uh, living over here in Toronto, Canada, experiencing what you're, you're experiencing over there in England with the lockdown. But I'm fantastic. Great choice of shirt as well. Love that. Absolutely yeah, I put it, it on for the Gunas. <laughs> That's it. Exactly, man. How are you doing anyway? How, how are things over there? What's, what's the situation like in Canada? Um, so it, there's a lockdown. It's not as strict as England. So all of my family, like 90, 90% of my family, they're living in England. So they tell me that it's really strict. Um, obviously, the, the essential workers are the main ones working. Whereas over here in Canada, similar, but there's a bit more leniency with certain um, job sectors. So everything everything's cool. I still do what I'm doing because I've been doing a lot of... Um, online coaching because i'm a ufa licensed coach so i'm still doing a lot of um, live online training brilliant stuff sounds good yeah and you're absolutely right the lockdown is quite strict here in the uk i think it's starting to get to people now um because you know it's a massive change to your life and the fact that you can't even visit your friends and family you know not being able to go to a restaurant or go to a club or a bar is one thing but to not be able to even mix with with family and friends is it's tough. And I've got to say, it's, uh, it's starting to take its toll. Um, Rohan, I was looking um, up at some some facts and some stats from your career. And obviously, you started off at, at Arsenal, which is great. Um, you know, as an Arsenal fan, I can only imagine it must have been like a dream come true. You, you obviously came through at a time when Arsenal were very successful, um, some top, top players were at the club at the time. What are some of your favourite memories for, from uh, your time in North London? Um, so many. I just, I just remember my journey was an interesting one because I started when I was 10 years old. And um, I remember, like, at the time I was a good young player, you know, but I wasn't my, – my application to, to go to the next level, and I'm talking about from an early age, like 12, 13, wasn't – what it needed to be. And I remember this guy, I'm not sure if you, you probably know him, Neil Banfield. Yeah, um, yeah. Neil Banfield joined, I think I was probably about 13 years old. And when he joined Arsenal, he, he, he well, Wenger joined, and then he joined in around the same time. And when Wenger joined, they, they Wenger brought in a different kind of philosophy, which everyone um, knew by the time he had gone, you know, but and kind of, I think people value Wenger now that he's not there. But at the time when he came, it was something brand new. And that really kind of helped me in my development because I was a very technical player. But at the time, Arsenal, you remember one one nil Arsenal long ball and all that stuff? So that was what was going on. So Neil Banfield, I remember the, the special thing for me was him coming to the club um, and just his coaching method. And he got the best out of me. And then I moved on very quickly under his tutelage and I became like mm, the the most improved young player. So I really shot up in the ranks. When I was 15 years old, um, the legendary coach and player, George Armstrong, he called me up for the reserve team at 15 years old. That was like unbelievable. Um, I remember playing against Charlton, central midfield, 
skinny little kid from South London. Um, that was a special moment for me and doing well. Um, and then and then going in as a youth team player and a young pro under Neil Banfield and and Don Don Howe, who's another legendary coach. And those those coaches, along with Arsene Vwenga, Pat Rice, um, Don Givens, there's some brilliant memories with them. And at the time when you don't at the time when you play, you don't realize how not necessarily I would say fortunate, but you some we earn the right to be fortunate, but I don't realize how uh, fortunate we are to have good coaches. And the stuff that we was um getting taught, you know, and now I can pass them on to other children. Then another thing that obviously sticks out to me is I am part of the two back-to-back um, Youth Cup winning teams and like an integral part of both of them. So very few people win one and then very few people, hardly any win two. And then on top of that, being an integral part of um, both teams. And that was special to me. And then we got so many great memories of players, some, some great memories, Harry, some not great memories, but like funny ones, you know, like um, situations where we lost. Like, I remember we was unbeaten for like a couple of years and I remember we played against Bristol City away and like we was like, we was fa- like a phenomenal team. And then we played Bristol City away and everyone expects us to beat them, which, you know, if we played them 10 times, we would have beat them nine, uh, probably 10. But this time we turned up there and... I think we, we we were a bit too confident, a bit too cocky, and we got smashed five nil away. Wow. Win- yeah, yeah, it was we got murdered five nil away, and I remember the next day we didn't even have the day off. Don Howard, us in the stadium, he ran us. He absolutely ran us around Highbury. Ran us around. We did like these half laps around the st- around the pitch. Then he had us doing stairs. I remember vomiting players all over the place. And we were just like, oh, and he goes, you're never going to do that again. Like, And he wasn't talking about losing. He was just saying that we lost the game for a lack of fight, which yeah. we was always taught. And one of the great phrases that I remember from the, the late, great Don Howe was, we have to earn the right to play. Um, and we did that, but there's so many memories, like, you know, cleaning Patrick Vieira's boots, um, <laughs> getting called up to the first team. Um, so many stuff. Man. What, was, what, what was Patrick Vieira like as a person? Because I can imagine him like you see him on the pitch, and obviously, I never had the pleasure of meeting him or knowing him on a personal level. But just looking at the way he applied himself on a pitch, he seems like a really stern, serious character. Was that the case with Patrick behind the scenes? Yeah, he, yeah, he was stern. So, Patrick's very soft spoken, so he's very soft spoken. You know, really nice guy. Um, looked out for the young players. You know, he wasn't like the type of guy that was like, you know, like, oh, you're the you're a young player trying to break in the team. Forget you. No, he used to look out for us and maybe have a word with us. You know, if we went over, he would maybe, you know, try and help us out. You know, if we needed help. Um, but he was just unbelievable. But he, like I said, he even though he's so spoken and he helped us, out, he was all business. You know, like he was like. Soft-spoken, but when he, you saw when he stepped on the pitch, he wasn't soft-spoken, was he? He was serious. Like he was my idol, and still is an idol to me. And um, I remember sitting in the paddock at Highbury because we used to go to watch all the games, and I literally cannot remember Patrick Vieira having a bad game. I cannot, I cannot remember having a bad game. He was so consistent, 
Um, but saying that, obviously, the style of player he was, it's different. Like you know, like it's hard for him to have a bad game because he wasn't necessarily a creator. So yeah. it's harder to it's harder to create than it is to destroy. But he did have a, a creative kind of um, element to his game. But he was also there as a, a true competitor and a leader in the central midfield. But he was just he he set like a benchmark like so high and. Being at, that was one of the reasons in the end I was like you know I, I have to go and leave here because when I was at Arsenal Arsenal were Arsenal were a massive club and always have been but when I was at Arsenal they were a massive team so so that was a difference so so right now for the last I want to say three four years or maybe maybe a bit more Arsenal have not been a massive team they're a massive club you know what I mean known all around the world but team they haven't been there they haven't got patrick vera in midfield next yeah. to emmanuel petit uh but now he's fine i used to clean his boots he might be had some huge boots, huge boots. <laughs> yeah. i can imagine i can only imagine mate. um after you you left from arsenal obviously you went to that lot um down the road um <laughs> what, do call, what do you call it i don't know that lot down the road um i, I wanted to ask you and, and you know i know most of our listeners are arsenal fans but I wanted to know what it was like making a move like that. And I know it wouldn't have had sort of the implications that, you know, like when Sol Campbell came the other way, there was, you know, there was complete and massive uproar about that. But from your perspective, going from Arsenal to Tottenham, were there challenges? Was that difficult as a young player, making that move, knowing the, the sort of rivalry between the two clubs? And do you feel like you got treated differently there because of your past? Good question. Um at the time, you just, as a young player, playing at Arsenal, brilliant, but you want to be a first-team player. And I played one game for Arsenal against Manchester United. I came on, um, and that was brilliant. But I didn't have the patience to sit around with all these world superstar players, knowing that Wenger wasn't going to really give us a chance because it was kind of like, we've got the best youth team in the country playing for England, but we can't play for the first team. But kind of, it was kind of justified, right? You got World Cup winners placed in the midfield. Right? Why are you going to place it with me? Um, so, so when the opportunity came to go to Arsenal, uh, to Tottenham, sorry, that, that was a team you're talking about, right? Tottenham, the other lot. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You said okay. So the, um, I remember I, I, I tell you a bit of a story. It's a bit of a kind of exclusive for you, but I'll give it to you. Um, go so it. <laughs> I got, I got. Um, it was kind of tapped up, right? Because my agent at the time, um, Rob Siegel, he um, he he kind of he had a friend, and the friend was name is Brad, and Brad is like, he, he said, "Look, Brad, you got to come and watch this guy," you know. And um, I remember sitting in the car when he said, "You got to come watch him." Like, I mean, he's, he's proper, like he can play. He should be playing for the first team and this, that, and the other. And so he came down and watched one of our reserve or youth team games, and. Brad said after the game, he goes, look, you could play for Tottenham right now. I bet my mortgage on it that you could play for Tottenham now. Would you be interested to play for Tottenham? I said, yeah, let's have it. And he goes, he goes, uh, cool. So he set up a meeting with one of the directors at Spurs and he took me over to his house. It was just really lovely, plush house. Um, he said, look, are you interested in joining Spurs? And he just just spoke to me. He wanted to get to know me a bit. Um I'll be. I'm. I'm in the middle of writing my autobiography, so I'll. I'll. I'll, uh, I'll put his name um, out then. Um. So he took me off his house, and in the end, um, he ended up convincing me to come over to Spurs. And I, at the time, obviously, Tottenham's youth team 
they was nowhere near as good as our youth team. So to get someone like myself over there was a big deal. Um, so I didn't really look at it as like, oh, I'm leaving Arsenal and, and joining Tottenham from like a rival standpoint. I just thought it was going to be good for myself because I was leaving one big club and going to another big club. And I got a bit of hate mail here and there, but it wasn't anything like what Seoul experienced because obviously I wasn't as well known as Seoul at the time. But I got a few, you know, you're a scum and all that stuff. But, you know, we deal with that part of the territory. That's it. The thing, the thing is, like, you know, we sit here as as fans and we joke about things like that. And we say, you know, you know, if you said to me, oh, would I would I ever want to play for Spurs? Of course, I would say no, because I'm an Arsenal fan, first and foremost. But had I been in your position, had I been a professional footballer, then it all changes, doesn't it? The priority becomes your own career and nothing else. And that should that's the way it should be. So, you know, I, I was making a joke of it, but there's no reason for anybody to begrudge anyone making a move that they felt at the time was better for their career. And, you know, you went on to play quite a few games for Spurs, so it proved to be the right move for you, did it not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I was, um, like, I can remember back at Arsenal, it was like, I remember even Neil Bamford at the time, because you probably know of Neil Bamford when he became, like, one of the assistant first-team coaches. Neil Bamford was there from a long, long time ago. And he was one of the people that was fighting our corner with Don Howe to get these players, me, Stephen Sidwell, Jerome Thomas, Jermaine Pennant, to get us in the first-team squad. Like, Jermaine, you don't need to buy a Gilles Grimondi when you've got a Ron Ricketts and a David Noble, another player that was fantastic that you should interview, that is was one of the best players that I played with. Um, Jay Boffroyd, obviously Jay Boffroyd left, left for um, obvious reasons. But... Um, it worked out really well for me um, because it was another Premier League club. Glenn Hoddle, this is another big thing. Glenn Hoddle was like, let's say in some way, like an understudy to Wenger. Um, he had learned a lot from Wenger during his time at Monaco. And after, after like going and managing Spurs and then like me joining there, he was like, like really, when I mean a top, top coach, um, managerial skills, like people could question that, but as a coach, Glenn Hoddle was phenomenal, and he learned, and it was very similar to working with Glenn, very very similar. And then a player like me, he loved so my style. So then he really helped me develop. Uh, him, John Gorman, Chris Hutton, they gave me great support, and and them along with other players in the Tottenham first team, they they supported me to get into the team, and I really enjoyed my time at Spurs. Here's a question for you, so. A lot of people give Arsene Wenger tremendous praise for some of the young players that he brought through at Arsenal. And obviously, when I say brought through, he would go and pluck them from France, from various other places at young ages. And I guess take on that final stage of their development for them finally becoming a, a first team regular. Do you think, though, that where he gets all that praise and, you know, rightly so, there is an element of... Wenger being a little bit stubborn in the sense that he would always look outside of the club for solutions rather than inside. Is that fair to say as somebody who was there at that time and who would have experienced that? Did you feel a little bit betrayed by the fact that Arsene Wenger would always look outside of the club rather than at what he had right in front of him? I didn't feel betrayed, but it's a very fair point um, that he... he it's not that... It's, and I wouldn't say... like. Put it this way, when you're at Arsenal, right, so you're, like, just say Arsenal first team, 
you're not just going to go and get the players, you know, you want to win the Premier League, so you're not just going to go and look for just all English players. It would be brilliant. It would be a brilliant feat if he could do that, but that's not what you're going to do because you've got a budget. Same with the youth team, same with the reserve team. So we was understanding that you're going to bring in players, but it was just about being fair. So, so like, being fair. So you understand we brought in Jeremy Allardet, quality player, found it difficult in the beginning, but adapted and quality player. Then you have, we had a player, um, Lord rest his soul, um, Nicola Galli, fantastic centre-back. He was top draw. We had Moritz Voltz, German, German, German youth international at the time. And we brought in Sebastian Sfard. We brought in two from Brazil. And it did raise the bar, but not necessarily that they were better than us. It just maybe they were strength, strength. Like I said, I, I was consistent uh, playing both youth cup winning teams. But it did kind of raise the bar and, and made the competition a bit higher. And that wasn't the factor that kind of would make me say he kind of, like, I don't want to say betrayed us, but kind of overlooked us for yeah. lack of a better term is he didn't really, he didn't really give none of us, even the ones that came in, he didn't like say, okay, you lot are regulars in the squad. And then, you know, some of us got in towards the end. I know like when I left, I think Pennant got a few games. He was in there quite a bit. Um, who's the other one? Jeremy Allardair. Graham Stack was in, in like in the squad. Um, but there wasn't players. And then obviously the least I bring it up was like Sesk and so forth. But that's when he started to sell, think about maybe selling on a few players that was had done well for Arsenal. He sold on Vieira after that. But I do um I like I give you an example. No one really knows this. And I, I hope to do an interview with Ashley Cole soon in the next few weeks. Ashley Cole was on fire for Arsenal, right? Youth team, I'm talking youth team, reserve team, literally on fire. Phenomenal talent. He had Sovino. So, so, and there was another player that there was. He, he could have, he didn't, he, at the time, he wasn't even going to put Ashley in. He was forced to put Ashley in, and Ashley never looked back. And it wasn't that he was an Ashley Cole fan, but Arsenal, like every manager, they have their preferences. And for some reason, he wasn't going to put Ashley in. And then he was kind of forced to because of Savino's issue. He had a passport issue. So then he threw, threw in Ashley, never looked back. One of the best left-backs, if not the best left-back England's ever had. I, um, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really sad. So there was many scenarios when we look back. Us, like you said, but it's difficult because Arsene Wenger at the time, he look, he created the Invincibles. So who are we now to go and replace those guys? And uh, do you know who's going through a similar situation? Um, but hopefully it's going to be different for him, is um, Phil Foden at uh, Manchester City. Like, he, he's really, like, he's, like, top player, like, for me, quality player. But for you to don't become a, a, a real kind of legend and, and a real figure in the Premier League, like Scholes has become as an English player and Lampard and Gerrard over the years, for you to do that, you've got to play games. Agreed. It's no, it's no, like, it's not rockets that like, you have to play games. And for you to play games, you need a manager that believes in you and he's going to play you and consistently. And Pep, I want to give Pep credit because he's, he's, um, it's a difficult one because he's done as much as he can. And he's put Phil in, he's kept in and around, and he's gone public and said, This kid is the future of Manchester City. And he's kept him there, you know, kept him there. And hopefully, I think, um, David Silver's retiring this year. 
So that will open up and give um, a, um, Phil Foden a chance to maybe kind of stake a claim for a, a starting role. But like, it is, it's very difficult. But um, yeah, I know, I know there was people that did hold grudges, even coaches against Wenger. You know, there's stuff that you don't hear about in the press. So coaches like Don Howe and Neil and that, they would have like had uh, their opinions about the boss, Arsene, because that's what we had to call him. But what you can do, you can't say anything because he's like he's done so much for the club, so much for English football, you know. So, you know, but Arsenal now they're playing their youngsters, so I, I wish them all well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really difficult balance to find, though, isn't it? Because of course, had uh, the way Arsene Wenger came in, he came in at '97 or, or whenever it was, and and of course he came midway through the '96 '97 season. 97, 98, Arsenal win the double. 2001, 2002, Arsenal win the double. 2003, 2004, Arsenal go this season unbeaten. Plus all the FA Cups in between. It's very hard to question someone and their methods when they're having that level of success. That doesn't mean that their methods can't be questioned or that they shouldn't be. But given the success that Wenger was having, it must have made it increasingly difficult for those people around him to actually make their point and get their point heard because... You know, if it's working, you don't change, you don't f fix something that isn't broken, uh, essentially. So, I mean, it must have been a really interesting time at the club. Now, Rohan, when I was looking up at your career um, before the show, I always talk about modern day footballers being world travelled. Um, but I don't think any are as well travelled as you. Um, I, just at first glance, you played football in Canada, Hungary, Moldova, Germany, Ireland, Goa, Ecuador. Thailand, Hong Kong, Bangladesh. How did that come about? I mean, it's it's common for footballers to move a lot, but you moved a hell of a lot. <laughs> um, another good question. Um, it's um, it's it's complex, but it's simple at the same time. So, a lot of people don't realize that in professional football, there are. Obviously, there's a lot of closed-minded people. There's a lot of um, bubble kind of island mentality. And I, I, I mean that people kind of, um, if you're like when, if you leave a country and you're playing in another country, no matter what you're doing in that country, they won't be aware of that and they won't really respect it. So I'll give you an example. So came through Arsenal, played for Tottenham. Brilliant, you know, England Youth International, under 18s, under 20s, under 21s, wonderful. Um, I was tipped, tipped to be, when I was at Spurs, I was tipped to be playing in the England team in one of the World Cups by Sven Gorn Eriksson and Todd Grip. They said eventually I'll replace Paul Scholes. They thought I had that potential. So it was all great. But things turned and went another way and... Um, I remember David Plea, he was one of the people that I didn't really like at Spurs and he um, he was trying his best to try and make sure things didn't go how I wanted it to go at Spurs. Then I went to Wolves again with Ben Odo and then like Glenn, like, you know, like he was, uh, he loved me, but we didn't, we did really well, but we didn't go, we didn't get promoted. So Glenn gets sacked and then he comes in, a coach that doesn't, not like players my style, but he doesn't like players in my style to play in central midfield, which is my strongest position, which which is where I played for years at Arsenal. Anyway, so that was Mick McCarthy. Nice guy, but we didn't really click. Uh, you know, I was playing yeah. coach. 
Uh, but we got we we got on like you know man to man. But my style of coach, not not at all. And then anyway, you start moving, and then I was going to sign. I remember I left Wolves, and I was going to sign for MK Dons with points. Uh, points was my captain at Wolves, and he loved me, and he was like, look. He was like, Louis, because he calls me Louis or Roti. He goes, Louis, come and sign for me, son. Come down, uh, MK Don, sign for me. And um, I'm going to get a move if I do well. And then I've probably been a Premier League because obviously he's a big name. I said, you know, I, I went down, checked out, checked it all out. But in the end, I ended up signing for Barnsley because it was obviously championship. And he was, points was in League Two. So I signed for Barnsley. I ended up staying only a year, I think I stayed. Or not even a year. And I left Barnsley. After that, moved to the MLS. This is where it all started to go. I, I don't like to say wrong, but this is where it started to go a bit crazy. Let me just ask you one quick question on on date. You mentioned David Pleat there. Um, one of our live viewers has said as well, he's not a big fan of David Pleat either. Um, stand the man. I can't stand him <laughs> either. Let's go. Uh, David Pleat always comes across, and I've never met the guy. I've never worked with him or anything like that. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, quite a few people, but never David Pleat. It was never someone that, you know, came on the radar or anything like that. So I don't know the guy personally, and maybe I'm just making a passing judgment, but he always gets branded as this kind of like really nice person. That's how people see him when he broadcasts on games, when he talks about games. Is there another side to David Pleat? I'm assuming there is. And why do you think that you and him didn't see eye to eye necessarily? Um, David Pleat. David Pleat. Now, now that I'm more mature, I can kind of discuss it without getting mad and <laughs> like, like ranting. But um, to David Pleat, this is, I'll tell you the, 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 the things that I, I like about him or, or admire. He's extremely knowledgeable. Like when it comes to football, he's extremely knowledgeable, really um, good understanding of football. And when it comes to details and information, he's right up there. That's why he makes a very good commentator. Okay. So my issue with David Pleat was, and and not it's not normal, but at the time I, I couldn't get, get over it. Um, so I joined Spurs from Arsenal. So I was one of the top players at Spurs. At Arsenal, sorry, then I joined out and uh, I joined Spurs, and then I um I started to um, I was in the first team squad, but he at the time had bought a player called Jonathan Blondell. Jonathan Blondell was a young Birmingham international. He bought him for approximately I think it was one million euros because David Pleat was a director of football at Spurs and he had some sort of budget to go out and buy players that he thought were would develop in the future. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, he thought they would have a very good chance to develop in the very near future and go into the first team and make some kind of impact. So he bought Anthony Gardner. He bought Matthew Everton. He bought Simon Davis, um, Jonathan Blundell. Um, I, I, I think he even bought my, uh, Michael Dawson. Um, and, and what's his name? Andy Reid from Forest. So, you know, so he, he did have a good eye for talent, but I came in a different route. I didn't come in under him. So I was brought in through, I wasn't brought in through him. I wasn't brought in through 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 Glenn or John Gorman or Chris Ewan. I was brought in, like I said, through this member of the club who I'll name in my 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 book. Um, I was brought in through him, who was a person above David Plea, um, on a similar level to Daniel Levy. So he brought me in. So 
I was in a similar position to Jonathan Blondell. So I was kind of competing with the guy that he just spent a million euros on and they got me for nothing. So so then in the at the in the beginning, they've got to kind of justify this kid that's just been bought for a million euros. You know, you got to kind of justify that. So I was kind of competing with him, but in the end, Glenn saw that maybe, you know, this kid's got more than him. Like, I mean, he's got way more than him. And then once I made certain adjustments to my game, I was even more um, in kind of in line to do things than my, um, than my, than Jonathan from Blood. One second, my daughter. That's See right. Me, <laughs> no, I'm on. Yes, wait. <laughs> See, my daughter's there. Havana. That's right, okay? <laughs> See this, Wes? Yes, yeah, you can meet her at the end. That's no Wes. problem. <laughs> cool. So, um, so, 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 what happened now was, um, David Plea. When I, when Glenn started to give me my chance, like, like when I was doing well in reserve teams, he was always like, I was doing well standing out in these games but he'd be calling me in his office saying i don't think you're going to make it here i don't think you're going to be uh able to play here because of your style um like so he'd call me in his office and do this so he'd call me in his office let's say it was 12 o'clock i'm in his office he's saying to me look i watched your game yesterday you played against i don't know we played against Watford one time because you was fantastic you decorated the pitch your skills you do a lot of things no one can do but you didn't shoot enough or you didn't you didn't head on the ball enough so so he'll be looking at things that maybe i didn't do good and say because tottenham wasn't like an arsenal which we've been we had like the, the ball like 60 percent of the time 65 percent in the youth team yeah. he said you're not going to be able to flourish here so he was telling me this but then at 12 30 you'd have another meeting with glenn <laughs> and glenn's telling me the opposite so listen don't listen to that guy um, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just keep working and work on this and this and be patient. So those um, two didn't particularly see eye to eye in a football at all. Then you've got me, this young boy that's talented, hungry, hardworking, lots of desire. But then I've got one guy saying to me something, one guy telling me something at 12 p.m. and at 12.30 p.m. the other guy is telling me something else. So I'm like, like, like kind of like, what's going on? Anyway, I wasn't even listening I, I would sit there and be respectful to David Plea, but what he's, he's telling me was like ridiculous. I, I just came from Arsenal, where I'd get, be given a debut for Arsenal. You know that you're good enough, and it's not a thing like I never doubted myself. So you know you're good enough, but it's whether the person's going to give you, like I said before, an opportunity. Uh, so then Glenn was like, I'm going to give you an opportunity. But this meeting with David Plea, this didn't happen just once. This happened three, four, five times where he was kind of calling me in. I'm like, why are you calling me in? Call Cool other players in that ain't nowhere near as good as me, that ain't in that Glenn Howard doesn't have training with the first team. Why are you calling me and Glenn, the coach who makes the decisions, and Glenn just said that I'm the one that picks the team. He believes in me. So I've got one guy telling me, don't listen to that guy. And then I got this guy just telling me what he's trying to do with me. So mm -hmm. it was like, so he basically was stepping on Glenn's toes. That's Glenn the perfect example, though, isn't it, of where a director of football and a manager can just, if they're not on the same page, it's a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a joke because especially when you have someone as experienced as Glenn and, and everyone, and if you spoke to Glenn today and you said, Glenn, hey, back in that time when I was at Tottenham with you, 
what part of your like like career or no what part of your coaching kind of role was you developing or needed to develop that you you develop now he would probably say, he might say to you a few things but nonetheless he was still very experienced and he had an amazing context if he needed to get players obviously um david please wasn't employed um by him he wasn't deployed by him it was by daniel levy you know they got a jewish connection and you know and and like i said david please is a knowledgeable guy but then when you've got the first team coach a manager saying look i'm going to play this guy and he's telling me to play you can't just come and interfere with that like like if he believes in me you've got to try and make sure that you look after me and make sure i'm happy and and help me develop into the player that you think i could become and rather than try and take me away from it so basically imagine i was weak-minded i'd go on a training pitch with excuses in my head and think oh they don't like me and blah 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 but i didn't do that i didn't care i just went on there and took one session at a time and did what i had to do and in the end that forced glenn's hand and glenn and even robbie Keane, jamie redknapp um teddy shannon let's find all these guys they were the guys that backed me a lot they were the guys that came and said stuff and Robbie Keane and Jamie Redknapp was the two guys, and Robbie Keane in particular, who said to Glenn when we was in South Africa, said, look, this guy's got to play. He, he went and told him, and then Glenn Hoddle told John Gorman, who came and told me, he said, well, Robbie Keane and Jamie Redknapp, they were the ones that went and knocked on his door. They told him, he's got to play. And I was a kid. I hadn't even played in the first team. I was in the reserves, but I'd been on the bench the first season. And in that, that preseason in South Africa, I went away and I – was like a monster i was on fire and those guys saw me on fire and it was i was training so well they went to the coach and said you need to play this kid and so i'm always grateful to those two but I, like at the same time you've got this guy david please so you got robbie Keane saying it who's you see what he's done with his career you got jamie redknapp saying it who are in day in day out with me but then you've got this crazy guy saying that you cannot like so you, you you cannot play here. And it was like, what? You don't even see me. You he's not even. Yeah, he's not. He's not giving you constructive criticism. He's just literally point blank saying you're not going to make it here. Which what, what's what's the benefit of that? Even if he didn't think that you had a future there and he wanted to move you on, then by completely killing your value and killing your confidence, even there, it's not. It's of yeah, no benefit. Yeah, to them. yeah, but he. He was trying to move me on to like Belgium and all these places because he says you're so technical and over there it's a bit less physical and the stuff he was saying. That cool, I could have went there, but it might have worked out great. But the point is, I'm one of your best, if not the best, young player in 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 the team. And I'm not saying this because I I got my head up. I was like, hey, I'm the best. No, at the time that's what it was. So if you've got someone of this much potential that's got great pedigree from Arsenal. Why would you, why would you, and the coach, the coach is willing to work with him and give him a chance. The players want me to play. Why would you be trying to ship me out when I've even played yet? Like, so, cause, cause if, if for example, I go on a team and I don't do well, that's on, that's on Glenn. It's not on you. But this guy had something, it was like there was a, some vendetta cause there was lots of things that he did later on that were very vindictive and horrible and evil like stuff that he was doing that you don't even need to do to a guy like me because we didn't have an issue but he was not a nice guy with me he wasn't nice and yeah. players jamie redknapp they should say why doesn't he like you little man because like he, we didn't know no one knew so when i got into the first team at spurs i won young player of the month back to back two months august and september 
I never came off the pitch under Glenn Hoddle in the Premier League. I was um, 90 minutes every game. Um, so, so imagine that we did a meeting. I remember this meeting we did with the um, the psychologists. So it was all the midfielders. There's about eight of us. They said, what player has been the most influential so far? Everybody on that, in that room wrote Ron Ricketts, apart from me, because I had to write someone else. Everybody. So I was the most informed player, the most influential player. I'll never forget the meeting. The following like game or two games, when Glenn got sacked, Glenn Hot, uh, not, David Pete was the caretaker manager. He takes me out the team straight away, like like straight away out, and you can, like so that's his opinion. But I would understand if I was playing. Okay, you know what? This guy has an opinion of me, and I'm not doing well, or I'm doing so so. I was on fire, and I'm I, like I, I just broke in the team, but then he's taking me straight out of the team. And that game was against Coventry, um, and I came on and scored my first goal for Spurs, like a, in the top corner. But the um, it was very difficult having to deal with him. Then I had situations when. Um, I was trying to, right, now I'm trying to go on loan and the guy's saying we can go on loan and then I'm calling his phone to go on loan because he told me I can go on loan. So I'm calling him on deadline day and he's asking me, why are you phoning my phone? I'm like, like so he's speaking to me as if I'm this random stranger. Why are you phoning my phone? I said, David, you just told me like in a week to call you if I get a team on loan. I, have, I had um, two teams that got promoted to go on loan. Like it was Reading, um, Two teams that wanted to, they, they wanted to go, they wanted to me to go on loan. They got promoted and they weren't both phoning me. And he's saying no. And he's hanging up the phone on me when I'm talking and saying, don't phone me back. I'm like, and I'm not shouting and I'm not being rude or nothing like that. I was like, David. And it, it made me furious. So that's what made me build up hate for him because how he dealt with me was very disrespectful. And then there was a time, I remember there was a time where all week um, we were training and we were playing Newcastle away. And he he um, he not rotated the team around a bit, so it looked like I was probably in the team. I was going to be, you know, I was in the picture. I might I might start in the central midfield of Ledley King, and then he I, I don't know if he put. I remember I didn't start. I don't know if I was on the bench in the end, but I remember the day that he picked the team. He said to one of the youth team players, it was either one of the youth team players or the Ledley King. I think it was the youth team players because he knew that I was kind of close with Ledley. He said. He said, "Ah, oh, look, you see Ron's face. <laughs> he thought he was in the team, just like that. So that was the, yeah, that's the kind of, so that's the stuff that's going on. And then you, as a young boy, your young man, who's, you know, you, you got your testosterone, you're fighting to get in the team. That's gonna piss you off. So you're like, what's this guy doing? Do you know what I mean? So he started doing a lot of pathetic stuff like that. And there's other stuff that he did. And um, but then he would speak to people like agents. I remember he said the agents because Ron Ricketts is world class." In training, he's world class, but then he wouldn't play me. And then, and then that kind of that that stopped my flow because I'd played I think six games in the Premier League at this time when Glenn got sacked. So if Glenn didn't get sacked, and I would have kept going on, you know that changes everything, you know. So then, yeah. in after that, I moved on to like I was saying, I was in I was to answer your question that you uh, asked previously that I am. Um, I was in MLS later on, you know, after um, Spurs. So after Arsenal, Spurs, Wolves, Barnsley, a couple of long stints here, Coventry, QPR, I went to Toronto FC. Brilliant. When I went to Toronto FC, I was under John Carver, who was assistant at Newcastle for many years. Yeah. And it was a fantastic experience um, living in Toronto, um, maturing as a, as, a, as a man, as a footballer, um, you know, because... 
when you're in England and you, you live in the capital and you get like money, like it wasn't like like the money they're getting now, but it's good money, getting good money. Um, you know, like a lot of women and a lot of stuff, which was my vice, which was women. You can kind of, you know, sometimes lose that focus a bit. But then coming out to Toronto, I was allowed to um, um, kind of breathe a bit and get away from the crowd that I was with. And you started to read certain books and started to kind of um, improve myself, you know. Um, so that was wonderful. And then it reflected in my game. And then I went, I, and then I remember I wanted to go back to England because the MLS was, it was cool, but you wouldn't play in the Prem. Do you know what I mean? And, I'd already yeah. played in the Prem. Do you think now, when you look at the MLS now, uh, obviously you went to Toronto in 2008. Do you think that the MLS has come a long way since then? Oh, lo long, long way. Long way. So, which is which is my point one person had to make. It's come such a long way that now, no, back then, players, like when I left Toronto FC, so I went in 2008, played the season, then I played nearly all of 2009. And left like middle towards the end and i left because i wanted to go back to the prem on trial or you know at the premier league maybe championship i couldn't get a trial a 25 or 26 fit as a fiddle i could not get a trial a trial in the prem nor could i get a trial in the championship a trial Do you and think i didn't mean gone a year and a half and the lowest level that i played was the championship the lowest level? Do you think so, that's because that that's because people looked down on the MLS at the time? Exactly, they said it exactly. Mm. So this is what I was saying to you about. I said to you ten minutes ago, they have an island mentality. A a a a. They're like very small minded. So I'm in the MLS. People in England, they think you're out of sight. They out of sight, out of mind. And then my agent at the time it was a guy Charles Collymore and a couple of people that I was talking to. They're following up clubs and clubs are like. Like, yeah, Rodriguez. Oh, where is he? Where did he go? MLS. So straight away they think your level is not at the level it should be to be at. And then it's like, you. So how does it? So you think a guy that played in the Premier League was raised by Arsenal for eight years, played for Spurs, raided by Glenn Arson, all these different coaches. After a year and a half, he's not a good player because he played in the MLS. That's that's Nimsy Lot. Big up yourself. Yeah. So. So um, you got you got what is it I'm saying? So you got um, you, so these coaches all over they're saying no, it's a Mickey Mouse. They call it the Mickey Mouse League. This thing, play, teams that wanted to buy me, they would buy me for a couple million. They they didn't want to take me on trial. So 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 it was like not because of oh he's a bad kid or no, no, no. they just didn't want to take me on trial because you're outside the mind because they what remember if you've been watching let's say another. A few attacking players like myself for the last year and a half while Rowan's way in in and around you in Europe or in England, even in the lower leagues, when all of a sudden they say oh, Rowan Ricketts, you're gonna be like Rowan Ricketts. Uh, it's the unknown which bothers them. But yeah. then you've got a guy that you've been watching two leagues below that you've seen and you've been monitoring for like last year. Yeah, you're gonna take him ahead of Rowan Ricketts, even though Rowan Ricketts, if we brought them both together, might be a better player. And and looking back now in retrospect. I kind of understand it, but it's pathetic because it don't cost you a penny to see someone on trial. So now, fast forward, what was that? Was that Twelve years later, eleven years later, these people in England are taking players from the MLS. <laughs> they're taking them on trial, loan. Uh, they're buying players. They're going to Germany, and because the league now, and this is why I said 
it's very it's a, it's, it's very fickle it's a facade because you have now the league has grown in their credibility their exposure the types of superstars that have gone over the years the Thierry Henry's the Tim Cahill's the the who else is there that's gone Zlatan uh, Ibrahimovic has been there Ashley Cole all these people going there now so it's just making the league more credible back in the day when I was going there Beckham was there but people will even question Beckham why he was going there and it's just it, it was at the time it was super frustrating because you're like I'm super fit I've already played in the Prem I've already played in um championship and now I want a trial with teams that were going to pay money for me so the same directors um there's one director at um um West Brom he wanted me on trial no he wanted me he wanted to buy me he was considering buying me at the end of the season when I was at Wolves what is his name um he, he, he was the, the director at, um, at West Brom. So a year and a half later, you don't even want me. You don't even want me uh, on trial and, for, and for free as well, essentially for, for free. free. Yeah. And you know it is what it is. And then after that, you so then what happens? You're waiting, and as you're waiting, time's ticking. So guess what happened? I went on loan to uh, I went on trial to Aberdeen. Guess what? We who we play against a Premier League club. Who gets man the match? Ron Ricketts. So, so I get a man of match against this team. So I'm with Aberdeen for a week. Then Mark McGee comes to me. He really wants to sign me. The players think it's a done deal. It's in the newspapers. He was fantastic. What happens? Oh, sorry, Ron. Um, what did he say? We don't have the budget right now. You're gonna have to wait to offload players and this, this, this. And I'm like, you just had me here for a week to tell me that. But then I'd missed out an opportunity in a what's that country called in Denmark for. A big club, one of the top two, three clubs called Odense. So I missed that opportunity mm -hmm. to go there. So by the time I they sent me out there, they already signed two players, but they sent me out there anyway, trying to kind of force their hand after going trial. And I went to Belgium. I went to a team called uh, Antwerp. No, Brussels. No, no, Brussels. Brussels. Brussels FC. I ended up going to all these different clubs. I even went to MK Dons, and I was going to sign again at MK Dons, but I was like. Rather than signing League One or League Two, wherever it was, I'd rather be playing top league in Denmark or or, or, or top league in the Scottish Prem. Mm -hmm. But I was going to these places, doing what I needed to do on trial because I was super fit. And I was when I went on trial, Harry, I was so confident in my ability. You could took me anywhere. I remember when I was at Wolves. There was, I think it was one point I was at Wolves, and and this agent, uh, my favorite agent, is like a is like a godfather to me. His name's um, Eric Waters. And Eric Waters was going to take me to AC Milan on trial because he knew someone. So he's going to try and get them to look at me. But in the end, it didn't work out. But I was confident in going any any club in the world on trial because of my ability in my football and education. So when I was going on trial to teams like Brussels FC, um, Odense, Aberdeen, um, there was MK Dons. There were some other teams that went on trial in the end. I was super confident. But there was always different reasons. Like 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 there was... Budget problem. Um, one of them that I went on trial to the team in Belgium set up two goals in the space of 15 minutes. The game was too literally, if I'm being honest, it was too easy for me. And guess what the coach said after? Oh no, that game was too easy for me. I want to see him in another game. But get happened. So I've done what I needed to do in the game, and now because it was too easy for me, you want to see him in another game. But in between the training and that game, I got injured because I got a dead leg and I was out for like three, four days. It was super dead. So then I I just left Belgium, and it just you end up going around. But guess what's happening, Harry? Time is passing. Um, you need to stay active.
Because remember, I was active in the MLS, and people say, "Oh, where's he been?" So imagine I'm inactive. So I was yeah. like, so I was like, so I remember I got a deal. I don't know. You could probably look up on on, uh, on Wikipedia and know where I went. I can't remember if it was in Hungary, and then when I started Hungarian club, I can't even pronounce the name. Was that where I went after Toronto FC? Yes. Yeah. yeah 2010. Don't pronounce it. I don't. I don't want to hear it. So, <laughs> so listen. When I went to that club, they called Diogja. Um, so when I went there, I remember sitting in an apartment here in Toronto because I was I was all around the world and I flew back to Toronto. I, was like, I can't find a club. What's going on? So I left this club, thinking I'm going to get a club. I'm super fit, and then I can't get a club. So in the end, and and this is the other thing that people don't realize. And now through my um, my academy, which you can see behind me, and my coaching and and consulting, I try to. Um, educate and inform children and parents about the different options they have in the world because at the time if you're speaking to an agent that's you know strong in a few countries in the, in europe or like a few countries that's where he's going to probably try and pitch you and the other countries you're not going to be aware and they're not going to be aware of you so you're going to miss out on those opportunities and transfer windows close open close and you miss out because people want to get their squad sort, sorted out quickly so i uh I ended up signing, getting an offer from. There was a Tottenham goalkeeper called um, Martin Fulop, and he he died unfortunately uh, of cancer. And his dad, um, I think it was Frank Fulop, he ended up getting me um, an offer in uh, in Hungary. So he says, "Yeah, they're going to pay you ten thousand. I think it was ten thousand pound a month after tax." And I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll take it, whatever." And he's um flies me in. That I'm I've done like a bit of a trial absolute disaster like the place done the trial then they've taken the they told me that the, the money's not too for ten thousand a month anymore it's uh two, i think it's two or three so basically they've lied written me a contract that wasn't signed by them flew over they've lied so i'm sitting in the country and i'm like oh my gosh and i remember my my ex-partner she's like um she's like you know what? you're gonna just stay you're there just get on put your head down and work and uh, one of the worst things I did. So I stayed there. In, I stayed there for we had three months left of the season. So those three months, I played. So I I I I, I, I played one game. I had three coaches. I had three coaches in three months, and I think two of them were racist. Like they're clearly racist. And then the whole I was living in this place called Mishkolch. It's a village in Hungary. It was. One of the most testing times. And you don't know me, Harry, but I'm very gregarious, very jovial, upbeat person, like full of life, always. But that place really got the best of me. And I stayed there for three months. I left there, came back to, to Canada to see my partner. And I was like, damn. And she was like, you seem like you've been in jail. The way I was, I was like institutionalized. I was just kind of not speaking much. And anyway. After that, I'm waiting for a club again. So now, so now what, what happens? Remember, I had Premier League and Championship teams on my CV. Which, you know, when people look, because it's, you know, people, perception is a greater than reality. So I had those teams in, on my, my CV. Then I, then I, then I, MLS team. MLS team, I'm thinking, cool, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a good team. Did well there. No, that, that in the eyes of the British people, that was bad. So now what do you think about what they're going to see when they see the Hungarian team? It's a nightmare. And then I'm fighting uphill battle trying to, to – teams are now not just want to take me there, asking why did he go there? Yeah, it's kind of like they, they see it as 
why at that age did you go there that that's and as there, there could be reasons for that as you've explained there are very good reasons for that but being narrow-minded they would question wouldn't they why did you end up going to the mls at that age why did you go to hungary at that age and it's unfair but you know like you said that's the attitude of people unfortunately yeah they, they, they're so um quick to question and not as they criticize but they're questioning and judging and why did you it's like just bring the guy in and give him the ball. There's the oxygen, so many different questions. And it was like, even just speak, like, it, I used to be so, like, I don't say bitter, but super angry about it because I was like playing, in, I was in, in, in Hungary and I was just, this, what am I doing here? Like, I mean, it's an absolute mess. Then fast forward, was the next team on my CV, was it? Um, that's yeah? Yep, Moldovan club. So then I'm, I remember being in Canada, I'm trying to get a team. Um, I want to say, I don't know if before I signed there, I might have flew all the way 15 hours from Canada to Korea. So I was going to sign for this Korean team called Pohang Steelers, which were champions of Asia. Went over there, got the offer before I went. It was a lot of money. It was really good. Got there, um, played in the game, scored one, set up two in the, in, in, in the trial game. I thought it was a done deal. Then the coach was like, Ah, uh, that game was too easy for him. I want to see him tomorrow when I was extremely tired because these Korean guys run a lot. I want to see him tomorrow against the first team. I was knackered. Anyway, against the first team, I didn't do much, didn't play well. Um, and he goes, oh, no, no, I don't want to sign him. I want someone more bigger and more powerful. So you flew me out there to tell me something. You can see from my video that I'm not big and powerful. Um, mm. so, so then I had to fly 15 hours back. So imagine that. You're flying 50. So these things, they get you. But I was very, very tolerant. So, so, so then I flew to, um, to, to, to what's that country called Moldova? And then I got to Moldova, and this, uh, the agent said you're going to earn this much. The agents got paid thirty thousand um, just to bring me there. They got paid, so they got fifteen thousand each. They promised to pay me uh, Muhammad Mohammed so it was maybe ten a month, um, ten a month. Um, it was. A, two-year deal with a three-year option and like i never even heard of Moldova. if i'm being honest but most it might sound shallow-minded who's that who's that stand the man stand the man 450. i'll tell you what the other day i went in the shop to buy something stand the man and they said to me do you have any air miles sir and i said <laughs> i said unfortunately darling i don't <laughs> no damn air miles stand the man i wonder if they can do uh some kind of retract kind of um yeah retract back, the back, back, it. yeah yeah anyway so i was in moldova and after one i remember they signed me and the guy was like went to put me up front so we played in this trial game so imagine that and now i'm going on trial i'm going on trial in moldova unbelievable but i went on there done what i needed to do i scored a hat trick in the trial game the guy goes, yeah, we're going to give you the 10 grand a month. He signs the deal. The f I remember, the, I think it was the second game or third game. No, first or second game, uh, Harry, we drew the game. So we drew against a team that we should have beat, beaten. Guess what? The, guess what? The next day I see the players outside the hotel having a meeting. So they speak in Russian and Romanian. So I'm over there. I ain't got a clue. So I, left, I said to one of the, kids, the guys that spoke English, he said, hey, what's going on over there? He said, uh, we're not getting paid. I said, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> he said, we're not getting paid. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, I've never heard of this stuff. 
I'm like, but it did kind of happen to me in, in Hungary. But I'm like, what's the not getting paid? Like, I just, I just go ahead. It's like, yeah, because we we tied zero zero against this team, so we're not getting our money. The, the boss doesn't. What kind of what kind of contract is that? <laughs> you could just say, oh, you didn't win today, so sorry, guys, you're not getting paid. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's it's called mafioso. That's what it's called. So what happens <laughs> is these people are kind of giving you contracts, but then they're making it up as they go along. They're getting very emotional, and I'm like. So I'm like, what? So then I found the agent. And I'm like, I don't, I've only been there a couple of weeks. I'm like, yo, what's going on? This guy, his name was um, Leonetti. He lives in New York. I said, what's going on? He said, oh, let me call them. I don't understand. So, and he called the boss. Then he goes, a Russian guy. He said, yo, um, what's going on? He goes, um, he goes, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Rowan's going to get his money because he just came. But the others, no. So I was like, kill. Anyway, week passed. Still no money. Time passed. So then a month was begun, no money. So then I phoned FIFA. FIFA said, write them a letter and give them a letter. So I wrote a letter, mailed one to them while I was in the country and handed one to him. He read the letter, didn't give a damn, kept going. Still didn't get my money. Goes another month, no money again. FIFA told me to send him another letter. When you send the third letter, which I did after three months, you can cancel your contract. You can do it. And then you put a claim into FIFA. So I did that. They didn't pay me. Then they started to threaten me, like threaten, like physically threaten. There, you got to get out of here and all that. And we want the money back that we paid the agent. And I'm like, what? You ever paid me? You paid them to get me here. I'm here. You ain't paid me. And now you're telling me that I can leave, and you're not going to give me my documents to leave. And and you want me? This is what this is what I want to do. The ITC, which is the International Transfer um, Certificate, you need this to go and like play for clubs to be legal. This this key was saying we're not giving you that, which you got when you tell someone goodbye. I want you to leave. You got to give them. That. You got to give them that. Yeah, that's by law. This guy is saying we ain't giving you that. Get out of the country, and when you get to the next country, like where the next club that wants you, phone us, and they got to give us the thirty Gs that we gave to the agents. Yeah, exactly. So I'm there, there like, I'm in, I'm there, and like, you just want to punch the guy in the face because you're sitting there like, like what? And I'm there, and I'm. What is this? So, so in the end, I had to leave. Literally, I had to leave without that. Flew to Germany with these agents that I'd met through another friend. And I was in Germany. So I went on trial to a team called Ingolstadt. Ingolstadt was a team that yeah. was trying to get into the Bundesliga. They liked me. But guess what? They wasn't trying to hang around with all the nonsense of me trying to um, get my ITC. Because it's like, we need you now. We ain't got time to wait. Because what happens is when... When someone ain't got their ITC in hand, or you can't just get it from the uh, from FIFA, what you have to do is you have to wait 21 days, and FIFA will check out what's going on, and then they will make a decision and give it to you or not. Yeah. This team needed me now, and so I missed out on going to a team that was in on the verge of going to the Bundesliga because that's what my ability deserved to be. So I end up going on trial to all these teams in German, like the German League One, the German League Championship, then the German League Two. It was a nightmare, and I ended up signing it. So then even those teams didn't want to sign me because they said, no, we're not going to have a guy and pay a guy that, that can't play for three weeks. Was it was it a lot more organized in Germany, though, compared to oh, Moldova? Yeah. And, like, it was yeah. a lot more efficient, wasn't it? I can imagine. Yeah. It, was like, it, was like, it was like very similar to the Prem, very similar to the Prem. Very similar to the Prem, but then when you start going down the lower leagues, it wasn't like the Prem. And the players at the lower – this is how crazy it was. I used to go places and the players couldn't believe I was there. They was like, what are you doing here with us? 
Um, I'm a very humble guy. So I was like, no, like, I would explain the same thing that you asked me, and that people are like, why did you go there, 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 there? The players are asking, with your ability, you're in shape. Why are you? And I'm like, just forget it. Like, and then I would explain it to them. Anyway, the, there was one team in Germany called Willem Savin. That's where I went after, right? Yep. Willem Savin, they said, we'll pay you up front and we'll wait. So they paid me up front a lot of money and they sit, sat and wait waited for for three weeks then they got declared for me to play that's like playing then my case was with fifa um for the other team in, in moldova so i was playing but now look so i told you all the justifiable reasons why i've ended up in these crazy countries and and then now i've gone to a team in the the the, the, the i think it was german league two that now then affects again my cv so then the next team is like where are you going and like why was you there and why did you go there and why did you only stay three months there and then that's what people seem to be asking them rather than just saying, hey, bring him in a trial. And then I can't remember where, where did I go after Wolverhampton? After that, you went to Shamrock Rovers um, yeah. and then Exeter City. Oh, Jesus Christ. So Shamrock Rovers, that's where I got a bit of love again. That's where I fell in love again with the, with the sport. People that obviously spoke our language, even though I speak fluent, fluent Spanish at the uh, time, I, I didn't. But going back to an English-speaking country, um, being Ireland, um, I love Irish people. Uh, Michael O'Neill, Jim McGilton. It was phenomenal. Um, it was a short deal. I had an opportunity to go with it. I had an opportunity to go somewhere else. And I chose to go to Paolo Vanazza. Oh, you remember Paolo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Paolo Vanazza. And do you remember a player called Graham Barrett? Yes, yep. Yeah, those two, they'd done my deal. And they were agents at the time. they done my I played with them both at Arsenal. They were like two, three years older than me. But they done my deal to Shamrock Rovers, and it was the reason I really went there because I knew that I could play in the Europa League, and I was going to get a chance to play back against uh, Spurs while Lane. And I was like, really, like, I was like, you know, that's, I was buzzing about that so far. It's love a great that. stage to show yourself again, isn't it, the Europa League? Exactly. And to show that I can still do it at that level, and 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 it weren't like to prove anything to me. It was just like prove to people that look. Like a lot of people, you've said like, "Oh no, where's he been?" Where's he in? Look, he can still play. So, and I went, but but remember when you go when I'm going to some of these countries like Moldova um, and Hungary and like you lose you lose that 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 fitness that you had because you're not playing regularly, you're not playing regularly. You don't even have, have any really desire to really train, but you have to train because it's part of your deal. Even though they're not fulfilling their part of the deal. So then, when I got to Ireland, I wasn't in like great shape, but because Michael O'Neill and Jimmy Jilton believed so much in my ability and said I'm different to what they have, they would play me in games. Um, I was the difference in a lot of games for them. I I think that was the last league championship that um, Tremont Rovers had won. And I, I I was a big part in helping them win the game. I scored the winning goal in a, a game against Derry City. I assisted in lots of goals. Um, and then I got to play against Spurs, which was beautiful at White Hart Lane. Got a standing ovation from all the fans, which is one of the most memorable moments of my career. So that was brilliant. So then I was like, you know what, I'm in shape. And what I did was I spoke to Spurs when they, when they, I think it was either when they came to Ireland or, or when we went to Spurs, I spoke to um, Clive Allen and some of the guys at the club, Harry Redknapp, and I was like, look, um, my contract's up and I'm going back to the UK and I can't remember when it was. Can I come in and train with the guys? Do you know what I mean? Stay in shape because Tottenham, 
like it's crazy. Like there's a family club for me. I spent three years. So so it's like taking back one of their own to keep fit. It's like, yeah, no problem. You can come and train the reserves. And so I trained the reserves and sometimes I was with the first team. And this was when I really kind of got furious because I would go in with Spurs. The Spurs players, it was Modric, Gareth Bale, Kabul, Lennon, Jermaine Defoe, all these different players, Ledley King. They could not believe, because remember, this one's talking about island mentality. They could not believe, because they know me and know my level and my caliber. They couldn't believe that I couldn't get a club. On trial, they, they was like, really? Because they never left the league. So they're thinking, uh, this Roy Ricketts, he's a really good player. Because players know more about the players than, than, than the media and anyone else. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so they were like, I remember, tra I remember training with uh, Modric and all these guys, and I couldn't get a trial. And those guys are saying to me, hey, like Modric didn't know me, right? Because obviously I was like a lot older and at the time I first was, and he was a lot younger when I was at Spurs. He was really young. So he was like, like he was looking at me and he's like, you can't find team? Like, and I said, nope, no, I not love, even I love that impression, by the way. That was top quality. <laughs> <laughs> then I remember, who was it? Kabul. He's like, you can't get a team. So I was training with, I remember then I, sometimes I was training with the reserves. So it was Tim Sherwood, Chris Ramsey, who's was at um, QPR, Les Ferdinand. And they was training. They were saying to the young players, they said, look, listen, all you boys, take a look at this. You lot haven't made it yet. Look at this young guy here. Or look at Rowan here. I wasn't young at the time, maybe 31. He said, look at Rowan Ricketts here. He can't find a club. He's talented. He's coming in. He's showing what he's doing. He's fit. He's he he's without clubs. For you lot to understand how he is out there. So so so. And then I remember. So then then Tim Sherwood was trying to do a deal. I think in the end they did some kind of deal. Swindon, but they was trying to do a deal with another club where I would have. They would have signed a deal with the club. Then me and some other youngsters would have went on loan. And I would have been like this figurehead to guide the young ones through because I knew the Tottenham yeah. way. But then Arsenal also, there was a point where Arsenal was going to do it because Wenger was thinking about signing some old guys or older guys like myself that knew the Arsenal way to help to play, no, to play for Arsenal's reserves to help the youngsters. And I was waiting for them to do that. That never came through with Arsenal Wenger and Neil Banfield. And then, then it never happened with Tottenham. And then I remember Tottenham was trying to speak to clubs. They even tried to make me phone. I remember phoning these crazy stories. I remember phoning um, um there was a guy called Alex Inglethorpe. And Alex Inglethorpe was, was the coach for, for Spurs. He's I don't know, under 17 or something. And then he goes, Look, he goes, You're a he goes, You're a Brendan Rodgers player. Call Brendan up. As then Brendan was at um Swansea. So I get so I'm like, wow, this is brilliant. So I'm back at Spurs. I'm getting the love that I deserve, that like deserve, and, and the appreciation that I deserve. And then they, they, they're like, well, you can't find a club. So they're all trying to get on the phone. So I'm thinking, well, these guys are at a high level. They're going to make a difference. Maybe get me in the door. <laughs> I phoned up Brendan Rogers. Brendan Rogers must have spent about eight seconds on the phone. He's like, hello. Like, literally, hello. I'm like, hello, Brendan. This is where my kids are. explain to who I am and, uh, and who gave me his number. And he's like, Okay, no, 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 no. Uh, what did he say? He says I was like, no, 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 thanks. I think he said no thanks. Um, and no thanks. It, it, it was something so abrupt with a quiet tone. It hung up the phone. 
So, so that was that's the kind of things are going on. You know, fair play to Brendan. That's what he wanted to do. But so I had people recommending me to these people, and then people know. So it was crazy. And then then we had um, what's his name? Um, then um, Tim Sherwood tried it, and then someone at Spurs, I can't remember who it was, contacted Steve Perryman, who was the director of football at Exeter, and Paul Tisdale was the manager. So he's like, well, you got to keep Ron Ricketts. So they needed they needed help to get a relegation in League One or Two. It was League One. So then it was like, he's like, yeah, sign him, look, Ron Ricketts. I went down there. My old teammate, David Noble, down there was there. He's a fantastic player. There were some, some other decent players. But I couldn't, he didn't play me. And I remember I was doing well, playing in reserves, doing well. And then he said to me, he put me in the office. So they had, they'd been losing with all these, like, hardworking players. They had, it wasn't going right. So you got me who come in now, who's a different type of player. But then he goes, he pulls me in the office, he goes, uh, Rowan, um, you know what? How you play is too sophisticated for us. And I wish I had I had I had uh, players that could play like that. Because he does like to play football. And how I play was very intricate and he just they're in a dog fight. But your dog fight is not getting you anywhere right now. But 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 that's what his opinion. So I really told that, that he wasn't going to play me because he was going to be hard to play because of the style I play. And you're losing anyway with that style. I was like, you know what? I'm here. i got family over there. Just pay me what you're going to give me and just let me go. Because there's no point having a player that you're telling him you're going to play him because of his style. When you signed me. Yeah, so exactly. In the end, I met a guy called Alan Gow. Alan Gow said to me, he just come from India. So then at that point, if I'm being honest, Harry, I was like, you know what? Where's the money? We've got to go. Yeah. We got to find them where the money's at. Because my time is running out. I can't go and play for the prestige and the the the, 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 the my burning desire, my dream anymore, because the, the people in it, then they're accepting you and giving you the opportunity, which is obviously where men. So, where so what age was that? What, what age was that where you decided, you know what, uh, it's about making sure that I'm okay after my career ends now? At what point? Did that come? Obviously, it was at Exeter, but how old were you at that point? That would have been uh, 2012. So, what, eight years ago? Uh, 29, yeah, about 29, 30. So, still young, 30. Mm. And it might have been, it might have been just, it might have been, yeah, I want to say 29, probably 30, because you, you, you're still trying to get back in the door. Because when I was making those moves to Shamrock Rovers, you try to get back in the door. And then when I went on trial to train with Spurs, it was to keep fit and get fit, but it was also to kind of, you know, like impress Spurs for Spurs to maybe make a phone call, which they tried and it just wasn't happening. And then when they said go to Stevenage, I oh, know not Stevenage, the uh, uh, what's that team Exeter, it was just a nightmare. And in the end, I ended up just going leaving. And did it, after Exeter, did I go to India? Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so listen, so then he ended up going. So imagine that. So I'm in and around Spurs. You're in and around Modric and all these guys, and you're getting plaudits from these guys, and they can't believe you can't get a team. Then they don't realize. I think months later, you're in India, you're in Goa with cows and all sorts of stuff around your house, and it was absolutely that was just that that you're really selling your soul there if you're being honest. Because as much as I love football till this day, like the level in India, Harry. It was, and no disrespect to my Indian colleagues, because they were good players, but the level, there's le there's different levels. Yeah. To you can find a good player at Sunday League. Um, you can find good players, like, you know, here and there. 
but then there's different levels there's different levels so um in india brother it was really depressing i remember seeing the pace of the way the coach who was one of the best coaches in india the the pace that he was running the sessions it was ridiculous i was just like i'm like what the like what is this and the players were decent so if you trained at the right tempo they're gonna make them better but it was a mess and i was getting good money got some good money up front but it was just a, this and I, was, I lived a lovely life there because it was like i lived in goa which is like a paradise beautiful place, yeah. beautiful place um lovely food um i was at like the marriott hotel every other like day so i had a lovely apartment but i was always at the marriott hotel just chilling out sunbathing getting a bit darker you know <laughs> my chocolate skin get darker chocolate but yeah, it was just a mess. And I stayed there for a while until I couldn't handle it no more because, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not arrogant, but I knew more about elite level than the coach did. And because, and I'm not saying that that was what I thought. It's evident because if you don't know how to run a drill, if you don't know how to manage the space in, in, in and the time for certain drills, and I do, did I know more than you? Because I was at a higher level than him. So I didn't try and step on his souls. I didn't tell him how he needed to do things. But I, 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 in the end, he was trying to tell me certain things. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, and in the end, I was like, you know, I can't be here because I'm getting, getting money, but I'm dying. Like, my, 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 my spirit for playing football is yeah, dying. You've got, you've got to have satisfaction in what you're doing as well. And, uh, you know, I can say that more better than anyone i mean i wasn't a footballer but i was in a career for years that gave me zero satisfaction i didn't enjoy it i was mm -hmm. doing it to, to get paid essentially so i completely got sympathy for you there in the sense that you need to do something that makes you feel alive man that keeps you that keeps you active and that keeps you going yeah and and that's a really good um analogy as well because um i was thinking about the same thing when you when you was telling me a story in the beginning about leaving the financial world and then going into the, the football kind of journalistic world, I thought, you know what? Like he, he, not that you was dead, but you wasn't um, stimulated in the way that you are now. And and sometimes you might not see the, the the fruits of your labor straight away, but that feeling, that intrinsic value that you get from it is invaluable. And then if you do it well and then you grow, then the finances will come. Um, and then it's not even about the money anyway. So I ended up leaving and a crazy story, but like I said, I'm in the middle of writing my autobiography. So everyone's going to love it because there's so many different stories and there's going to be stories about how I ended up leaving Goa in the end. No one, no one really knows. Even the people down there, they don't really know what I had to do to fabricate to get out of the country. And, and, and then the coach was taking money from the players again. And, and, yeah. and, he was taking money from the players. Then he went to try and get some money by my agent that took me there. And they was coming to me. I'm like, I'm not giving any money. Like I've just like, why, I'm, why are we giving the coach money? He's having nothing. So then I, then I approached the coach and then I, then, the, then the cat got out of the bag that he was, it was, it's a whole big mess. Uh, that'll be out soon in my, uh, my autobiography. So then I ended up fabricating a situation so I could leave. And then I left them because I had an offer to go to Ecuador. Ecuador. And Ecuador for me was like, it was going to be less money. Um, but it was a team that was in the top league in Ecuador. And I, I was going to learn Spanish. 
I I love I love salsa. I, I dance a lot of salsa, like so, um, and I I dance a lot of salsa. But I I I want to learn Spanish and I love the Latin culture and the women are fire. So <laughs> so, so I was like, no, most importantly, <laughs> say again, Harry. I said most most importantly. <laughs> most, most importantly, the ladies were amazing, and then there's a bit. Of <laughs> but one second. So um. So, so I decided to fly to Ecuador. I remember my ex-partner at the time, she's the mother of my son. She had came to visit me and she was in, I think she was in maybe a few days or a week or so. And then I decided anyway, I flew out the country and we flew to England. So I flew from India to England, stayed a day. Then the next day flew straight to Ecuador. So from Spain into Ecuador. And um, um, it was just, that was where kind of, okay, I felt, okay. I'm back into some kind of um, a serious type of um, professional atmosphere on, on the on the playing side. But these boys are fit. It's more of a football country, though, isn't it, Ecuador? Yeah. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to India or anywhere else. But shout out there... to Adam's Ars- Arsenal agenda. Big up yourself. Go there you go. You got a book sale. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, th- there are certain countries, and I'm not. I don't mean this disrespectfully to India or to anywhere else, but there are certain football countries particularly the South American nations where football is the be all and end all. It's the main sport. It's everything. And I guess what you're trying to say is that you felt that difference when you went there. Yeah, straight away, Harry. I felt, I felt alive. Um, I felt the need to, okay, you're on edge here. You got to do, you got to get, you got to be fit. You got to compete. You've got, you know, you got to show your stuff. Whole different style of football, um, which I'll come to in a minute, but I just felt alive again. Um, just like you said, it was just you felt like football was very important. The intensity, the athleticism of the players, the ability of some of them was really good. And you felt, okay, now I'm back. I'm earning a little bit less. Money was still decent money, still good money for average earning man. Um, not Premier League money, far from that. But it was, it was, um, it was enough to kind of the the the, the, the environment was enough to kind of awaken that that child in me again. And that 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 love to play football, and then uh, stayed there for a while. It was going really well. The people loved me. I learned to speak the language. Um, really popular in and around the town in the team. Uh, had a little injury at one point, my ankle injury that kept me out for a few weeks. And got back in the team, but they the the, the issue happened there now. Money. They stopped paying the salaries. So so what happened is when they stopped paying the salaries. And they told me, listen to this, the players told me, this is great, the players told me at the beginning of the season, because I would have stayed there if they could pay on time, and I'd probably stay there for a few few years. But these people are like all over the place. So you're there, at the beginning of the season, they said to me that last season they went three, four months on Saturday. I'm like, what? So, 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 but they they live there, right? So they ain't going to go anywhere. And and it's very cheap to live, so they're kind of used to that. So, you know, they, they make their money stretch. So, and I was earning more. So even if I stayed there, I was earning, I was earning most of the team. So my money would have kept me for a while. But what kind of nonsense is this? And then, and and then, like if you maybe win the game, then they might turn up and say, "Hey, the money's there." Or they will come to you the day before an important game. Say, "If you win the day, if you win today, how that they might bring the money." And all this, it's just nonsense. So in the end, I remember what happened. The uh, the players told me early doors. They were like, "Yo, Ron." Um, sometimes and they're telling me in Spanish that sometimes 
and they, 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 the money dries up and then they don't bring it. But we think that they're being smart because the, the results ain't going right. Anyway, fast forward, that happened. So I was like, I'm not up for this. So I was like, look, if you are tight on money, pay me my money up to a certain date. It was like maybe three months in advance and I'll leave. And I was like, okay. So they, 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 so imagine this now. We played one game. The ticket sells, I think, from that one game and a, a bit more money from I don't know where they got it from. They put it together in a Nike shoebox. Then <laughs> they got me to come and get it. And then I was, it was like, come to the office. I was like, I ain't going to know office to pick up all these like tens of thousands of dollars. I said, I'm going, um, uh, you can come meet me at the bank because, you know, like, no, I don't trust anyone. So in the end, uh, got the money, left the country, left with great memories. I actually opened up a business there. I had a business there uh, for the first year and um, closed that down. And, um, and and then I learned Spanish, which I speak fluently and which I use my, my other half. She's Colombian. Um, so, yeah, and then I went on to, where did I go after that? After that, you went to well. First of all, at least it was a Nike shoebox and not like some budget trainer shoebox, which is <laughs> great. Um, after there, you went to uh, PTT Rayong in Thailand. Yeah, so I went to Thailand. Wow, that was that was that was just after no, that was when my 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 ex partner she was pregnant at the time. I went to Thailand. Wonderful experience. Another crazy, another crazy experience. So. The guy that unfortunately passed away, um, um, the Leicester owner, King Pat, Mr. King yeah, Pat, yeah, yeah. yeah, they, or I don't know if it was him or his son and stuff, they were, they were kind of helping. So basically, Matt, Matt Elliott, the former Leicester centre back from back in the day, he was the coach there. And then I'd come across his desk and we spoke and he said, Look, I'd love to sign you. We spoke a bit about the money. I went over there. He just wanted to stay, just wanted to see I was in shape because of my age. Then I went over there. I was like running. I was up there. I think I was up there for all of them. Or I can't remember if I was the fittest one, but definitely one of the fittest ones, like easily. So they saw that this guy's out running everyone at his age. So they had no problems there. So they gave me this offer, I wrote it down. I was about to sign it. Then like they had to get some of the money via because it was it was with the, the team called they called army army fc or something like that in in um china and they're based in bangkok uh wonderful okay. team i loved it uh made some great friends there that i still speak to today and but i, I know the army was connected with the king power because there was helping them at the time to try and um bring in some like good members of staff so they brought in two people from leicester and they was going to help with facilitate some deals if they needed to and um, my deal was one of the deals but in the end they gave me one offer and then they changed the offer um at the last minute and then me looking back now in retrospect i should have signed the deal but when you drop from let's say it was 15k a month to 10k a month in two days you feel oh, oh, and then the signing bonus has dropped from x amount to x amount so quickly you kind of feel like you know, like, you know, like, why? Like, no, I'm not doing that. And you try and hang around, and then they don't hang around to yes. negotiate. So then I ended up signing for a team called PTT Rayog. Uh, mm -hmm. And the manager of that team was Peter Peter Whiff. You know Peter Whiff? I've, yeah, I know, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Peter Whiff, he was, um, he's an old player. I think he played for England. Mm -hmm. Him and his son, Jason Whiff, they was coaching 
PTT Rayong, I signed for them. I was uh, I was grateful because it was a last minute, literally. But they gave me the exact same money that I had. I would have got more money if I stayed at the other team. Um, but um, yeah, so I stayed at PT Rayong. It was a nice experience. Um, but if I'm being honest, that that point, and I'm, I, was, I was speaking to one of my friends. He's a French French guy that played in Portugal, played in La Liga. I think he played for Deportivo La Coruña. And he he was saying to me that because like you was not like you had a mobility than everybody, but you wasn't you wasn't like like super super focused then. Like you wasn't super super focused, burning desire because it was like you just you just wanted to go home. You just, I was because you just you getting fed up with the because even in Thailand there's so much nonsense. There's yeah. a new country so you're dealing with nonsense and it's like so then you start not being as serious as you should be, which then can have an uh, an effect in your performances in your craft to a degree mm -hmm. um, because you're just tired of the nonsense and then you start to see more nonsense there and then you, you, and then it's just tired and I'll figure out from there when I, I left there when my son was born got paid up left there went to where did I go after after that you went to Hong Kong to the Eastern Sports Club yeah mm -hmm. Eastern yeah. Um, they're called in Chinese they're called Dong Fong so I played for Dong Fong and my name in Chinese for those of you that want to know is let guys see. So when you see me and you speak Chinese, you say let guys see. So so yeah. So let guys see was my name. Um, I signed there in January. I think it was the middle of the season. Helped them win the cup. Um, we came second in the league, unfortunately. And then at the end of the season, I left. And I remember that's when I was doing around the time when I was doing my UEFA B and UEFA A license. And yeah, so left there. And then I went to Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Yeah, that's when it all just like uh, Pete Tong. Listen, when when I remember after leaving Hong Kong, going back to Canada, and I remember my friend. His name's R.D. Pinto, and he's played he's played professional level as well. And he goes, goes listen. He went to Bangladesh. He said, "Bro, don't go to Bangladesh." I'm like. I said, no, but let's go. I'm gonna he said, listen, if you go there, forget the money, you're gonna die. Like, like your football driving spirit is gonna die. It's diabolical. Do not go there. I said, no, 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 I'll be alright. I've been to these places, I don't have to handle it. You'd been everywhere at that point. Why not? Yeah, not like, go, yeah, next stop. Where are we going on the plane? Yeah, keep it rolling. We're going to Bangladesh. So get to Bangladesh, Harry. Jesus Christ. That was nuts. The the pitch, the the and I I'm grew up from I'm a I'm a street kid so I grew up on the street playing on whatever the pitch was, but this pitch was like just hard, dry, bumpy. So then uh, then then they, they can't play football in it, so they're kicking it long. You're going to get the ball where Arsenal have taught you to where you need to be to get the ball, and they're doing something else. And then and then when you get it, they're not in the. It was just it. These guys were like and they even see it. Players could see it. But the coach just needs to win the game. So the players are seeing that you're light years ahead of us. And they're coming up to me and saying, we want, to, we, want to, we want you to help coach us. We want you to help teach us some stuff. Because they can see how I play, the decisions that I make. They can see, okay, this makes sense. But then they've been told to just kick the ball. And the two African boys up front are going to bulldoze down, run down the, the, the Bangladeshi boys. And that's how they're going to try and win games. So they, they lied about the money. They said they was going to pay me X amount, lied about the money. Then they didn't pay the money. Then they paid a little bit of money at the end. And I just like, 
I was just so happy to get out of there. I think I stayed there for about six weeks. It was a nightmare. I lived in this hotel. There was an earthquake. It was just, it was, it was nothing. Yeah, Tough it was it, it was crazy. And then in the end, I think I came back to England. And I think was it Leverhead? Yep, Leverhead, yep. So yeah, I came back to England now just thinking I just came out to England just I was doing a bit of media with um doing stuff with talk sport, um who else is there? Oh, oh um, sports industry. There's all these different um these um different companies, and then at the same time, um what's his name called me? I was doing, I was I was in the office at a YouTube channel. And a YouTube channel called Ball Street at the time. And yeah, 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 yeah. Jimmy Brennan, not Jimmy Brennan, Jimmy, Jimmy Bullard just got the leverage job. And he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, what did Jimmy Bullard say? He's like, uh, he's like, what's happening, Ro? What's happening, mate? What's happening? Look, I just got the job down at Bournemouth's. We ain't got a lot of lolly, we ain't got a lot of money, but we could play some proper football, mate. So if you want, if you want, I'd love to just come down, come down, check it out, Ro. Come down here and play some proper stuff. You'll love it. I'm looking for someone from quality like yourself, some experience in the middle of the park. Being you know, you're as well. <laughs> yeah, the money's not going to be great, bro. I'm not going to lie to you. Do you know what I mean? And then, so, so, so I said, cool. You know, because I love playing football. And, and what he was saying, how he was telling me that he wanted to play, I was like, this is going to, I'm going to enjoy this. Forget the money. I'm just going to enjoy myself. Went down there. Unbelievable. Jimmy Bullard. Fantastic, fantastic coach. Obviously, amazing personality, but personality. But as a coach, he was wonderful. He was wonderful to work with. These drills, the way that he would um, speak and explain what he wanted from us to do, and I really, really loved it there. But what happened? They ran out of money. <laughs> so they ran out of money, and um, the, the little bit of money that they had, they couldn't afford me, so they had to spend it on a couple of people. So it was like, you know, Ron. I was like, you know, just, just, just forget it. So I stopped there. I was supposed to have been there for maybe eight weeks. Um, they ran out of money. It was so tight with money. And I was like, I'm traveling up there. You know, it's cold. Something like so in the, in the end, I think that's when I was deciding, okay, do I keep playing? I'm getting older. And I had, I had an offer to go to Australia. And I was like, do I keep playing? Or do I just call it a day and go back to Canada where my son lives to make sure he has his father in his life? And that's, that's the reason I came to Canada because my father and mother, but my father was in my life. And he was an integral part of my life. So I want to me, it's very important to make sure, even though I'm not with my son's mother, I want to make sure that my son has his father here. So I had to sacrifice where all my family live, which is England, to be here for him. Um, then I started up my Rowan Ricketts Academy, um, which you can see behind me. It's a Rowan Ricketts Academy. And I focus on passing on all the gems, all the information and knowledge that um, people at Arsenal, Tottenham, all the good coaches, Yeah, and all the ones again, all the good players, what they, what they, all the good coaches and even players, what they taught me, I pass it on to them. Brilliant, brilliant and, 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 and it's been, it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant um, so far because in Canada is obviously a nation where um, soccer, as they call it, is coming maybe the fifth most important sport. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of players um they don't have a lot of players uh, no no they don't have a lot of coaches that have experience so i'm a bit of like um a, a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond here and i'm trying to help 
grow the, 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 the footballing education here, whether that's helping coaches or helping players, because I work directly with players. So at the moment, I'm doing a lot of online um, live coaching. I, I do a session Monday, Wednesday and Fridays on a private Facebook group. Um, yeah, that's going well, my brother. Brilliant stuff. How can people sort of follow that on social media? Have you got like social media accounts? Yeah, so cool. So um, first of all, um, I would appreciate this. So I'm trying to eventually I'd like to start doing some um, live YouTube training sessions. So 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 I would appreciate if all the um, Chronicle FC people or your people that are going to watch this, just do me a favor. What As you're watching this, even pause the video and do it for me. So pause it right now. And then go over to Rolling with Ricketts TV. So it's Rolling without a G, Rolling with Ricketts TV, and just press subscribe. I've got some fantastic content coming. Some of uh, my stories from my time at Arsenal, um, playing with legends, um, being coached by legendary coaches, um, some of the, the, the crazy things that went on at Arsenal. And just to give you a lot more of an insight into what it was like to be a, a young player coming through um, when you had the Invincibles. Um, and I'm also going to be doing some other content about other parts of my career. And obviously the training stuff, which your children can use, or even yourselves. Sometimes I think it's important that even though we're getting older, we get up and we stay active. Um, so my YouTube channel, please go and subscribe there. I'm trying to get those subscribers. I'm trying to catch up to you guys at the moment, because me, myself, Harry, I haven't, from a long time ago, people were saying, Ron, get on YouTube. Because I was doing a lot of media stuff. I started in media when I was at Toronto FC in 25, 26. And I was on like, I did the World Cup. I did lots of stuff. But I wasn't doing my social media stuff. And everyone's going, Ron, your personality, you got to be on social media. And I was like, yeah, yeah, on, on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never got it done. So I'm trying to get the subscribers up. I need to get to 1,000 before we can go live. Um, go and follow me on Instagram at Rowan Ricketts, so at Rowan Ricketts. Go and follow at Rowan Ricketts Academy on Instagram also. Um, and you go and follow me on Twitter, at Rowan Ricketts. Um, yeah, just look out for, um, and then RowanRicketts.com, my website. We, we, we put it across the bottom of the screen. There you go. Subscribe to Rolling with Ricketts TV. We'll make sure that we put that in the description as well so that everybody um, heads over there and checks it out and, uh, on the podcast description as well. So we'll try and get as many people over there as possible because Rowan, I've really enjoyed this chat. I know that we've taken much more of your time than we scheduled, but it's flown by. The stories were fantastic. The openness, the honesty, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure that all our listeners are going to really, really love it. Thank you so much. Honestly, can't thank you enough for, for giving up your time to come on the show um, and I'm sure I'm speaking for the listeners as well when I say that and um, when this book is ready we would love to get you back on and we can um, we can uh, push push that book as well and we can uh, try and get you some traction there as well I'm sure you're gonna have plenty anyway um, but the, the level of the stories and your career is a uh, you know I've spoken to, to to many players over the years doing this and we've always spoken about oh the, their greatest game was to play here and that and but this is a different story and it's a story that had its ups as well. 
yeah. um, which is great. Um, fantastic. And you played at an extremely high level. And for that, you should be really, really proud. But what I've really enjoyed is hearing the other side of football that doesn't get put out there often, that people don't glamorise, um, you know, and it's interesting to hear what goes on behind the scenes and the challenges that a young footballer faces. And, you know, I'm sure that when you look back, you know, you, you wish certain things went differently, but you've had an excellent career and you've got plenty of stories and plenty of wisdom to share. And that is going to be invaluable in the coming years. So, Rowan, thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, listen, I'm grateful. Uh, I appreciate your words, your nice, kind words. And um, you're right. It, it was a different type of story. It's a different journey. Um, it's something that, like I said, I'm writing the book at the moment and, I've got ambitions to turn it into a series that hopefully can be on the TV, maybe on Netflix, because I think it would be very, very interesting to see like the depth of what I was going through in these different countries, because it gives a whole different perspective of professional football. Because um, there's one end that like, you know, the creme de la creme, which I think is five to 10%. Then you go down and you go to some other country, Eastern Europe, Asia, and you see what people go through and you go, well, is it, is, it, is it really worth it? And I still say it is, but Jesus Christ, it's like, something, you're not going to get paid, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Harry, before we go, um, how many people are listening on your 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 live, your Facebook live? Uh, no, 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 no. On your... Um, on the YouTube like, live? Yeah, how many people was I listening? can't see right now exactly how many is on there. No, I was going to say that we should have asked them if they had any questions, because I know some of them said some stuff. There is, there is a couple of questions actually. There is, there was one really, really good one. Um, bear was, me it a second. About the girls? was it all about the, all the Latin no, girls? no, it wasn't about the Latin girls. I'll ask you about that later when we're not live anymore. <laughs> um, this one was from Stan the Man actually, um, who was watching throughout, um, because he was commenting throughout. So big hello to Stan. He says. How does Rowan view the relationship between player and agent? Are they constantly agitating for the player to move? Do you feel they're overpaid and that a player could do their own contract negotiations? Um, very good question. Very good question. Stan, the man. Um, Stan is the man. <laughs> yeah, so um, a, a player-agent relationship. Um, there's different types of relationships, and I've had different types of relationships with agents. You've had relationships... Um, I've had relationships with agents where they're, um, you know, quick, uh, like, Rowan, I've got your deal here, let's go, bam, 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 and you don't hear from them maybe for a while because that's the relationship you had. It wasn't, there's nothing great. There's no, there's no real emotion and feeling there um, and maybe true care in the individual. Um, and that is what it is. And I think those relationships, I've sometimes known that they're like that or have grown to know, okay, there's no love over there with that guy. I'm just going to get the deal done and get the money and get, get out, in and out. Yeah. But then you have others like the guy who I said, my favorite agent, his name's Eric Walters, that's worked for many years at base soccer, had players at Arsenal, Tottenham, Ashley Young is still his age, he's still his player, um, Steven Sidwell for many years. Like, and other players, he 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 was very different and he was, it was a, he was more like a life coach slash agent. So, so you've got different types and uh, and and i think um it depends on an individual because sometimes agents do give good advice and players sometimes we are a bit hard-headed sometimes we are stubborn and and i've been stubborn and not made the right decision sometime and and then agents can sometimes be seen to be telling you to make a move and you can't see what they see in retrospect you look back and go 
I should have probably gone there. Like the thing with with Paul Ince when he was at, mm-hmm. so I left Wolves. I'd only played Premier Championship, big club like Wolves fighting for promotion. But all of a sudden, the agent is recommending that I go and sign in League Two with Paul Ince. But he's he's seen this movie before, in a sense where young player, um, talented, needs to play and get games. He's different different perspective. Needs to get games. And then you can get back to where you need to be. But guess what? You're going to go and play with Paul Ince, who loves you, knows you's going to play the right football, and he's told you. If he, Paul Ince used to say to me, you should be playing, he used to be at uh, Wolves. He'd come in, he goes, he goes, he walk in the uh, canteen, he goes, he goes, Louis, what are you doing, son? You should be playing for Man United. But you're over at Ina Bacon and Egg Sani, son. That's why, lad. <laughs> and he'd say that. And, and, and the agent said, go and sign for Paul Ince, and when he moves, you move. Point said, come and sign for me when I move. You move. My dad said it, but I didn't do that. I went to Barnsley, ended up going, going to the MLS. Paul Ince does well, ends up becoming the manager of Blackburn Rovers, calls me and says, I effing told you so, son. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Got a couple more, actually, that have come through since you said that. Um Adam's Arsenal agenda, who's been watching all along as well. He says, top bloke, Rohan, best podcast I've seen in a while. Well done, guys. So thank you so much, mate. For Shout out, Adam. Triple shout, A. Shout out to Triple A. That's it. Um, big shout out to Sunny TV Arsenal as well. It's another Arsenal YouTube channel. It's great fun. Um, I had the pleasure of being on there as a guest a couple of weeks ago. Um, and his question, he also says, hold on. I've skipped a little bit too far forward. He also says, Rohan, hit me up, bro. Um, and then he says... Uh, which modern day player is most like you um, back in the day and you would have slotted straight into Arsenal midfield, Xhaka? I'm a little bit confused. Hold on. Wait, yeah, just, which modern day player is most like you back in the day? Wait a Sonny, make sure okay. you subscribe to my channel. Go on, do it again. So what he's, I guess what he's trying to say is which of the modern day players is the most like you? I guess that's the question. When you look uh, at the Arsenal team now, I'm assuming, who would you say it, it resembles the way you played? I ain't got a clue who plays in there. Who plays centre midfield? Xhaka, Torreira, Ganduzi, Ozil. No, none of them. None of them. None of them. None of those guys. Because I was, um, I was, I was more technical than a lot of those players, and then I had. Um, I could dribble as well. When I say technical players, Ozil's extremely technical. But some of the other players, um, so some of the other players, um, so one second. Um, so yeah, so Ozil, different type of player because he's even he's more kind of. Uh, for, for, uh, plays a bit for uh, further forward. Yeah, players that play like me. Who plays? Who's, who plays in the midfield at the moment for, for? For I was about to say Spurs. They're about to kill. It me. doesn't. It doesn't even have to be Arsenal. Like a modern day player. Who do you look at now and you think, yeah, that's that's um that's a bit of me. That's what that's what I used to do. My style. Mm, interesting. I can't. I can't. I can't even think of them, man. Because uh, there's a mixture of stuff. Because I could pass. But I could dribble, I could play one or two times. So the thing is, I, I, there, there are elements, like small elements, I see of me in Pogba, 
like small elements in terms of like he can, he's a central midfielder has skill like proper mm -hmm. skill um and then there's there's other players um he plays, uh, he plays. There's, there's a a specific player, no, but um, I see a little bit of me in different players, you know, and um, but no one specific that comes to mind. Good and stuff. yeah, it would have been lovely to slot into the Arsenal midfield today because um, football in England in general has evolved, and everyone's trying to play the right way. Most teams, mm -hmm. and yeah, it'd be lovely. But guess what? Before I go, Harry. If anyone's listening to this, I literally, I'm thinking about making a comeback. But listen to this. I'm thinking about making a documentary. So I'm 37. Well, if you need a presenter, hit me up. <laughs> okay. so I'm thinking of making a documentary. I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm putting a bit of a proposal together. Because I'm thinking of making a comeback because I, it could be an interesting story. No one's really done that. No one's ever, who's come, like, oh, this guy's coming back. Like, what do you mean coming back? Can you even play? So I would like to make a comeback, but then I've, I don't know if I want to do it and say I can make a comeback to finish off playing in Africa and Australia, the two continents I've never played in. Yep. And, and then maybe I make the comeback and then get on the phone to agents, see what it's like to sell a guy that's 37, that's played here and there. And he's, so they're going to say, where's he been for the last three years? Say so he's back. Like, just come and take a look at him. He's back. And I think maybe the, 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 the fact that they're going to get some exposure might kind of, push them over to the line to have a look yeah it's a good point it's a good idea as well it's a great concept and something that like you said it hasn't been done before um Rowan, thank you so much mate really really appreciate it um can't wait to to read the comments and the feedback that we're going to get from this because it has been truly brilliant and i've really really enjoyed it i want to thank you again because i know this taken a lot of your time um and i'm very very grateful i cannot tell you how grateful i am um, particularly at a time now where there isn't much football to talk about. So it's always great to revisit interesting stories and yours is definitely an interesting story indeed. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to give Rohan a follow um, on the social media platforms. We'll put it all in the description as well, um, just in case you forget. Um, and of course, give us a follow at Chronicles underscore AFC on Twitter. Subscribe if you're listening via the audio and we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until then, Take care. Ciao.